Welcome to Key 3 Educators, helping you excel as a Christian school leader, educator, or homeschooler as you outfit students to learn themselves, love God, and live connected. Here's your host, Stephanie Smith. Today we are focusing on education for children with special needs, and I am very excited to have a guest, Cheryl Swope, with us. Cheryl holds a master's degree in special education and lifetime K-12 state teaching certifications in both learning disabilities and behavior disorders. Cheryl and her husband adopted boy-girl twins and homeschooled them through high school. Both twins have autism, learning disabilities, and schizophrenia. Now young adults, their enduring love of literature, history, and Latin inspire Cheryl to share the hopeful message that a classical Christian education offers benefits to any child. Cheryl is the creator of the Simply Classical program and author of Simply Classical, A Beautiful Education for Any Child. So Cheryl, I want to welcome you to the podcast today. And if we're just going to jump right in and share with us a little bit about your background and then what attracted you to pursuing a degree in special education? Well, thank you very much. And I I don't think anyone has ever asked me that before. I've um, done many interviews and podcasts and such. So um, I think that what happened is even as a child myself, I always enjoyed helping children who struggled with learning or behavior or fitting in. And I think it's kind of ironic because I never considered myself as fitting in too much. But I remember I remember just the joy of of helping somebody my my one of my first memories is a little girl who could not walk across the balance beam by herself we must have been in first grade so maybe we were six or something and she was really heavy her name was babette and i still remember her she was so sweet but she wanted to walk across that little balance beam it was only maybe three inches off the ground i can still picture it so i held her hand and she was able to walk across and she was just so happy and little things like that kept happening. I babysat a, a child with Down syndrome, babysat a little girl with learning disabilities and helped her practice her reading. But then I think what happened most was a summer job in high school. I spent every summer all through high school and into college, actually, but every summer at a residential camp for children from the inner city of St. Louis. I live in Missouri. Well, not just from the inner city of St. Louis, but also from the rural portions of our state. So these children came to live at the camp, explore nature, succeed in crafts or learn how to swim or hike. I remember showing some of the girls 
Well, we, um, we climbed up this big hill. We had an overnight. And then in the morning, there was this big pink, orange, glowing ball coming over the horizon. And the girls were like, Miss Cheryl, what is that? They just had never seen things like that. And I said, that is the sunrise. So I just loved that whole experience. Many of those children had suffered abuse or they some had hearing impairments, um, intellectual disability, just other challenges, other special needs. And yet they were just all children. They, they were such, it was just so much fun to work with them. So when I went away to college, I thought I want to do something that is as close to that as, as I can find. Uh, initially I majored in occupational therapy. I was in that for a year. And then I found that uh, the physiology was a little daunting for me, just not that kind of smart. And um, but primarily it was the cat lab. We had some dissection and uh, I just shifted. So that that's when I shifted my major to special education. And I'm very thankful for those OTs. They've helped my children tremendously, but I just was not, uh, was not one of them. I did learn a lot though, that year I was majoring in OT, but that's how I came to, to major in special education. And then all my experiences there, a residential hospital for the mentally ill child. I volunteered there through college and then also did a practicum there, diagnostic clinic, just everything that I did, a little preschool program at the university for children with Down syndrome. Everything just resonated with what I wanted to do. So that that was just all very, very early for me, as a lot of things are for a lot of us. I love that story. And thank you for taking the time to really delve in and share that because I think that being able to sometimes, you know, for young people to say, what do I want to do with my life? What's my passion? What am I good at? And sometimes I think we can think of passion as something that just poof lands on us one day and voila, there it is, you know, but it sounds like it's more a succession of a lot of little different pieces that added up and your experiences and your exposures over time that added up to point you in a certain direction. So I just want to point out for any of our parents or educators that are listening that have young people who are, you know, especially in those high school years or even in, in college years and are thinking, what's my passion? Where am I going to really look at and uh, you know, what have they continued to do in life? And for people who have children that are still at home to be able to try to broaden their horizons by giving them those experiences, because everybody doesn't have those kinds of summer jobs or those volunteer positions or, you know, different things growing up. So that's really great that you were able to have those and, and continue to follow through with those. So the, the term special needs, at least here in the United States, can be a bit fuzzy in its meaning. And I think that we've come a long way in some areas of, of our culture in dealing with this. But can you just kind of um, share what you mean when you were talking about special needs? Someone comes to the Simply Classical website. 
what are we talking about? Are we talking about behavioral issues? Are we talking about physical, mental um, limitations or capacities? Are we talking about things that are the result of abuse? Or can you just kind of help educate us so that we can understand not just that language, but we can understand that whole arena of special needs more accurately? Yes. And I will say up front that I wish there were a better term. Okay. However, for lack of a better term, this is what we use often in the educational setting. It's it's really special educational needs. So it's I just define it as any child who requires significant modifications in order to learn. Okay. That in, that encompasses autism if the autism is significant in many ways i guess it can encompass autism even if that's um that autism is mild it can just be maybe in the social arena as opposed to academic or there're just so many things on the the simplyclassical.com website we have we have this page of who is this for so we started listing the people who have benefited from the simply classical curriculum and it was kind of astonishing. It was like an A to Z. So you've got auditory processing just all the way down, um, well, fetal alcohol syndrome, as you said, trauma, medical issues, even hearing impairment, visual impairment, nonverbal or minimally verbal. Um, and then the things that most educators encounter, like ADHD learning disabilities of written expression or reading or spelling or mathematics. So just all of those things. But I know it is it is a nebulous term and it is irritating to some people. Some people prefer disabilities. And then I think others have tried to, to temper that stigma, if you will, by having it be learning differences. But then others say, hmm, if it's just learning differences, well, we all learn a little differently. I like to have a map when I go somewhere. Other people can just listen to the directions, you know. So that's not a significant modification. So I, I still think we need some term. Haven't come up with a good one yet. But but I know that that your question is a good one because we encounter this. I'll have people contact me. And they'll say he doesn't have special needs. He only has dyslexia, dysgraphia, and ADHD. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> or, or he's bright. He only has has um, autism and anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder. So I think a lot of people envision intellectual disability, Down syndrome, something visible such as physical disability or the, the child's in a wheelchair or clearly impaired in his mobility. That's, that's what we typically think of, but, but really one of, one of the things that I've noticed is that parents need to be encouraged to understand that mild needs are real needs. So, um, also, invisible needs are real needs. We have encountered that with our uh, with our oldest by one minute. 
um, our son Michael, at first glance and in conversations, he sounds astute. He he can be so interested in such a realm of things from World War II to regional history to science to current events and um, literature. He could talk on so many different subjects that that people at first think that he's capable of far more than he is. But then in reality, he needs so much support to be able to function at that high level. That, that has been, I think, less, um, less of an issue now. But when he was young, we, we really had challenges with that because people thought that we were overprotective or we were not letting him spread his wings and fly or, or something like that. And what we knew though, and what the doctors knew is that he needed so much in order to be able to let all those, those abilities really thrive. He, and he just, he needed one-on-one -on -one teaching. He needed medications Frankly, he needed supplements, a lot of therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech and language therapy, and all of the homework at home. He needs a lot of rest. Well, now he has Parkinson, Parkinsonism. It's a medication-induced Parkinsonism, and it's much more obvious now. So he can't even stand during a church service, for example, without without having the possibility of collapsing, but, um, and he has a tremor and his speech is a little more slurred. So we don't experience that now, but I understand how parents can experience the, the, um, suspicion that we're looking for a special need under every bush or something like that. Mm. When, when it, you know, in reality, the child really is struggling and really does need some extra attention. But with that attention, then he can flourish more, um, more capably. So I'm going to follow up with that because I think that's such a relevant point. And it's not a matter that you want to like put a flag on your on your kid. So everywhere you go, there's like this announce, you know, an announcement there that's that's made to the world. And so for parents who are in that arena and are encountering that same experience that you've had where they have a child or or children who do have some for lack of a better term, special needs, but they're not the obvious overt I can see that, you know, a mile away kind of thing. What are some practical steps or advice that you might give on how they can help to navigate that within their circle of friends and family, and then just in their circle of community that they regularly engage in and anything that you have there? The first thing is knowing that if you take your child to have a formal evaluation or to see if a diagnosis is going to be forthcoming, then you, you know, going in that you do not have to disclose this to anyone if you choose not to. 
a lot of people will say, I don't want them to have an evaluation because I don't want them to have a label. Well, the, you only have a quote label if you end up labeling your child. What you're really gaining is knowledge. Parenting a child with special needs, in my opinion, of course, yes, it it involves patience and wisdom and much help from God. It also it also requires more knowledge than we had otherwise. If it were not for all of the evaluations and help from our therapists and doctors and all the ones we're still in contact with, my children would not be thriving like like they are. Um, so that's the first thing. You, you can disclose to whomever you wish to disclose to. Uh, when, with my daughter, you talked about your circle of friends or your neighbors or extended family. When she was young, we got so much advice because she was, she was truly hyperactive. They used to call it minimal brain dysfunction, but she was so disorganized. She was, she was the kind of child that would be in your presence one minute at the park and you would turn to look for the other look for the other child and when you turned back she'd be gone and she'd be up on a wall climbing way high just no sense of risk and um or going off to see someone that she doesn't know and and befriending that person so um well so family members would try to say i, I think she needs longer timeouts mm -hmm. Or I think you need to make a rule that when she gets out of the car, she has her shoes on. Well, yes, that's a, that's a good rule. We actually have that in place. It's just sometimes, sometimes her shoes are off and we haven't checked them. Or they, people were trying to be helpful, but in reality, it was it was hard because I was a young mom. I'm second guessing myself anyway. We had chosen to homeschool, and um, so that was another thing. Extended family saying, we'll pay for the tuition if you just enroll them. But I knew, I knew what the needs were and I knew that wasn't going to be a good fit for them. They needed to be homeschooled at least for a time, kind of like a greenhouse effect. They needed to, to be able to grow and mature. And then maybe, maybe first grade, second grade or something, but at least initially they needed that that nurturing and the structure, the expectations to be very clear. They needed all of that. Well, so I wrote a letter to our extended family. By this time, we had been frequent flyers at Cardinal Glenn and Children's Hospital. <laughs> we were there so often. That's a, a children's hospital in St. Louis. We were there for PT, OT, speech, language, also neurology, cardiology. So we, um, the orthopedics, we were, we just were there a lot. So this is before electronic records. When they pulled out her file, even though she was little, it was about four inches thick with all of the input that we had received that was so helpful to me because then I knew what to do at home. Well, so I said, I have summarized the doctor's reports. And if, 
If anyone is interested in reading this summary, I'd be happy to share it. And then I, I said up front, I think that I have failed to explain adequately Michelle's conditions, her needs, because I'm receiving a lot of advice that doesn't reflect what matches what the professionals are telling me. Okay. So if, if anyone is interested, let me know. And I, I'm happy to share her formal diagnoses and things like that. In the meantime, I said at the end of my letter, what would really be helpful is to do things like, and then I gave examples of family members who were so helpful, like Granny, who she was in her 70s. She came to the YMCA gymnastics with me when my little, when my kids were little. It was like wiggle worms or it was a little tumbling thing, but it was just more physical therapy. I knew they needed all that vestibular, gross motor. And it was just plain fun for them, but it was one-on-one. -on -one. You had to have a parent and I had two children. So granny came with me. She met us at the YMCA. She's around all these little toddlers. She's having a great time, but that was so helpful. And then my dad, um, grandpa, he did the, um, I'm not sure what it was called, but it was like a, it was a swim time. So um, tot swim or something. And again, you had to have an adult. So he did that. And he, he took little Michael and I took Michelle and he loved it. He, my dad, he told the story that, um, my, <laughs> well, Michael had very low tone. And so he just kind of clung to my dad and he's all, he always loved grandpa. But my dad would say, you ready to swim, Michael? And Michael said, no, I just want to hug. <laughs> <laughs> so he just wanted to keep hugging. <laughs> but my dad taught me to swim. So eventually he taught Michael as well. But um, Or somebody else came over and, and made us soup or br brought us soup mixes or something, an aunt. And so those sorts of things are very helpful. The advice that might conflict with professionals, that um, that is less helpful, but again, I'm willing to share. So we, we just did it that way, kind of like upfront. And to this day, people remember that letter. I tried to be as gracious as I could. That's part of it. And understand that everybody was coming from a place of wanting to help and truly wanting the best for the kids, which is what we wanted to. Sure. So for, for people who do, did not have your, your background, I'm, would guess that having had not just the college education that you had, but because you had prior experience in working with children with special needs, then you, some people would say, well, you, you kind of have a leg up or you had some advantages that we may not have without having that background. Or a lot of people sounds like don't have the same type of family support. And it might just be because of geography. They just may not live near family. How does a person in, in that position know, where do I even begin to go to find professionals who actually really know what they're doing, especially for someone who may have a child whose needs are not so blatantly obvious that they know they are going to need, say, occupational therapy. But maybe it's more a matter of, I don't really know if my child has a real learning disability or is just, you know, especially in the younger ages, just isn't 
quite as developmentally um, caught up as, you know, some of their, their classmates or whatever. And I, I think also there is a legitimate concern that many parents have today of stories of inadequate testing and evaluation and just let's just slap a, a diagnosis on a kid. Here's your medication, go home and that'll be fine. So for people who feel kind of caught in wanting to avoid the extremes of scenarios and then also perhaps not knowing where do I even go to begin? How does a person begin to navigate that? Because I don't, I don't think that's just like, oh, I'll just kind of Google somebody and then poof, you know, there they are. Yes. The, the process can be daunting for sure. And it is important to navigate. Early intervention is important. So you do want to, to go ahead and act on those hunches. And it could be that the, it's the parent herself or himself who is seeing things and it's just not sitting right. The, the wait and see approach really isn't an approach for children who are struggling especially if you've already tried a few things and they just don't seem to be working, or if this child seems really different from a same age peer or really different from the other children in the family. I often tell moms, you already have a control group. So you already know that the other children did not experience the same sort of thing. So you can go with your instincts there. Some people will go to their pediatrician. If they appreciate their pediatrician, they can go there and say, who do you know? Who do you recommend? Do you see what I'm seeing? That can be dangerous in my case. So that's exactly what I did. And, and the pediatrician said, let's just wait and see. Um, that he actually said, there's an FLK book. This is what he told me. And I said, what? And, you know, I'm thinking DSM three at the time or, you know, and he said, that's just funny little kid. I think they're just funny little kids. Oh my. <laughs> Oh, I know. Wow. <laughs> so that was less than helpful. So then my best friend in college who had gone through all the coursework with me, she was at a wedding just a few weeks later, um, a wedding reception I was to. It was outdoors. So children were running around. She had a child exactly the same age as my children. And so see, yes, I had the background, but I'm also mom. I see them every day. So I just, I didn't want to push. I didn't want to be that person. Um, so I just said, what do you think? Do you think that these delays are, are big enough that I should be pursuing something? So, you know, you can do a trusted friend. You can ask a trusted friend or a trusted relative. Most people know somebody who has some experience with special needs. I would start there, just an informal kind of reality check, if you will. But um, she said, oh, definitely. She said, he he, Michael, yes, he can walk, but he's stumbling and his coordination is just not good. And then she only, I think the kids might've been 16 months. She only started walking a week ago. You know, it was kind of like, yes, of course, get a second opinion, get a referral and tell the pediatrician. And this is what I did. I would just like a referral so we can rule this out. Just you know, just humor me, <laughs> give me a, a referral, preferably for a quick screening of speech and language. 
and physical therapy and occupational therapy. And I'll take that to Cardinal Glennon. We needed referrals for our insurance. Not everybody does. And then, and we'll see. Well, both kids qualified instantly for everything. So very quickly then they received the therapies. And not only that, my daughter had been running into things physically. And I knew she was that sensory seeker type of autism child. So she loved the deep hugs. She loved our big black lab that would kind of just pile on her. She, But it was like she ran into walls on purpose. But um, the physical therapist said, I don't think she's seeing well. Mm. Well, lo and behold, some of the running into things was not on purpose. She needed to go to an eye doctor. So, you know, all of a sudden I had this team of people who could help me see things that I, that I couldn't see myself, no pun intended. But so, um, so my daughter received these little glasses with the hook cables around her ears and she's worn glasses ever since. And she was by that time about 18 months old. Well, so navigating. Okay. So yes. So you can go to your pediatrician, you can go to trusted friends or relatives, you can also go online and just check some milestones. So understood.org is a good place. They have they have milestones that go all the way through the teen years, which is helpful because sometimes you don't really get serious about it until about 9, 10, or 11 when the gaps start to be really wide or maybe there are mood disorders that seem to be emerging or things that like the children are melting down, if you will, um, over the smallest things. And you think, what is going on? They just don't seem to be coming out of this at all. So sometimes the milestones, those little charts, they only go up to say age four or five, but you really kind of want a a bigger scope. So understood.org is good for that. It's not, um, not necessarily for everything. Another place is LD Online. That's more for learning disabilities. LD Online. I think that's also .org. That is more learning-based. So let's say that the child's reversing letters, but he's three or four. That's going to be considered pretty typical when he first starts to write his name and he's writing in all caps and the letters are switched. But if he's still doing that at 9, 10, or 11, or even maybe eight, then, then that may be something that needs to be looked at. Or if he's struggling to read despite hours of good phonics intervention. Uh, so those, those characteristics are there. And then ASHA, A-S-H-A, that's the association, um, it's speech and hearing, the American Speech and Hearing Association, I think, but they would have the speech the which is articulation actually how you say the sounds when is it developmentally appropriate to have some difficulties and then when when have you passed that window where you really should be able to say your r's or your th's and then they also have language milestones i believe on there too so you can check that just yourself online but then in order to have a an in-person evaluation You can go to a university clinic. Sometimes they specialize in things. The one I worked in specialized in learning disabilities. The one I took my children to later specialized in schizophrenia. They were a first contact point 
that was at Washington University, a first contact point for when you think that your child might be experiencing severe mental illness. That university clinic was invaluable. There was no one else who was doing research in this area of that prodromal, that early stage. And um, and I believe that has saved both of mine from, from, well, all kinds of misery. They were able to be treated very early. They have never... Um, thanks be to God so far, they have never been hospitalized for that. And I, I credit that university clinic. Another place is a children's hospital for us. That was the all in one. It was so very handy because if they saw something, they could just refer to somebody else and they all shared the same records. So that's a good place to go. There are clinics that specialize like private clinics that specialize in say, neuropsychological evaluations. That's the full evaluation to see what's going on. There are also places that might specialize solely in autism or dyslexia. If you suspect something highly specific, then you can go there. But I, I do caution because what I have seen is that's that's what they know sometimes, and then it's difficult to spot other things that might be going on at the same time. So just stay open to, to knowing that many of our children have, have multifaceted brain differences. And um, so just don't, there's no need to, to limit to say, oh, it's, it's just ADHD or it's just learning disabilities. I think there's a, a pretty high percentage of children with learning disabilities who also have ADHD and then there are different types of it and so on. So you can go there. But in terms of, let's say that it's too expensive or it's going to, the waiting list is six to 12 months. And it seems like post COVID, maybe they're starting to catch up, but they weren't doing a lot of in-person evaluations. So I've just heard uh, of really, really long wait lists. So what you can do is go ahead and at least teach while you're waiting. So at simplyclassical.com, we have readiness assessments in every area. It's free. Hasn't this just been some phenomenal information that Cheryl has shared with us? Well, stay tuned because we are going to hear more from her in the next episode. She's going to share more with us about the distinction between a classical scholar and classical education, about the Simply Classical curriculum that is available for home educators as well as for schools. Cheryl has a wealth of knowledge and experience, and there are a variety of ways that you can benefit from that. For right now, make sure to check out the website simplyclassical.com and then Tune in next week for the second part of my interview with Cheryl Swope. While you are online, hop on over to the key3educators.com website. And whether you are a home educator or you are a Christian school teacher or administrator, there are two entirely free downloads available on the resources page. You don't have to sign up for anything. You can just hit the download button and they are there for you to benefit from. One of those is a list of 12 nonfiction books that are just a collection of different genres to be able to inspire and refresh your soul. They're not all about teaching classroom management or those types of things because those have value, 
but it's also good just to be able to just be refreshed in areas outside of your calling, your vocation, your career. There's also a list of 15 leadership and teaching books that you can also download. So hop on over to the website, key3educators.com and download those for you to use. If you haven't already, make sure to hit the subscribe button and hey, leave a rating and a review that really helps other people to be able to find this podcast. In the meantime, remember this, my friend, you have an impact that is immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable. Thank you for being with us today. For information on speaking engagements and resources for your school or family, visit the website key3educators.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.